Yeah, let me pray for you as you you get going. God, thank you for this day, for this time. Thank you that we get to uh, dig into Scripture, spend time in your Word. Spirit, we invite you to move as we we listen to your voice. Um, Pray that, uh, God, whatever Sarah has prepared, um, that you bless that. But as she speaks, that you will just speak through her, that she can hear you uh, and, and share with us as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. As many of you know, I am a parent. So we have two little girls, not so little anymore. One of them's taller than me. The other one is constantly measuring herself to see if she's as tall as me. Um, but we have two beautiful girls, and uh, parenting is an adventure, as many of you know. And sometimes I am so present like I am there. I am, I am in tune with my children. And sometimes I am so not present and not there. I remember, um, when we first brought Alyssa home, we had a little bassinet that, that I put right next to my bed. So she would, she slept there for about two or three months, two and a half months. And I remember finally, like I was nervous about moving her to her own room, but finally I had to because I was so in that season of life, I was so in tune with this tiny little human that was, that was in our, that we were responsible for that every time she sighed in her sleep, I would wake up. Or every time she would, she would stir, I would wake up and I'd be looking over her. And so I was up like a hundred times a night and I was exhausted. So finally we put her, put her in her own room and we both slept better. Fast forward a few years and I don't know, she was four or five and I remember sitting on the couch and, uh, she crawled up next to me and she was telling me something and I was, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember if I was on my phone or if I was watching TV or if I had my computer. I know a device was involved. Um, I don't know what kind. And I remember just kind of nodding and saying, uh-huh, to her, not really paying attention. And she, she crawled up next to me, and she grabs my face with both her hands, and she turns my face towards her and said, Mom, listen to me. And she repeated herself. And I remember that moment thinking, oh, I need to be present in this moment with my daughter. Now they're, they're both in middle school and they ride the bus and they, they come in the, the door and it's always kind of loud and, and wonderful when they come home. And like, mom, we got to tell you about this. Dad, we got to tell you what happened. And so the first few minutes is always them telling us what happened. And I try to listen, I try to be present. A few weeks ago, another experience happened that, that I'm thinking of. Um, I think it was actually c- coming to church a few weeks ago. And we walked in, and I'm thinking of all the things that still need to be done. And I'm very task-oriented, so I got, I got that checklist in my head. And Alyssa's talking to me about something. I'm like, uh-huh, yep, yep. And she had borrowed my phone, and then she hands me back my phone. And, I'll, and I'm like, what happened to my phone? <laughs> and, and a piece of the case was missing. It had broken off. And Micah kind of looks at me. She's like, and he's like, she was just telling you what happened to your phone. She's following you, talking to you, telling you this. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Alyssa. I actually wasn't here. I wasn't listening. 
As a, as a parent or as a friend, we've all had those experiences in which sometimes we are present and we are in tune, and sometimes we're not really paying attention. Today, we're going to continue in our series in Moses, and we're going to talk about tabernacle. We're going to talk about the presence of God. So far in this series, we've talked about how God came to a man named Moses and commissioned Moses to go lead the people of Israelites out of Egypt who were enslaved there. And Moses, with God's through God's power, is able to lead them out. God leads them out, and God brings the Israelites to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb, where he, he, he met with Moses for the first time. And last couple of weeks, we've been talking about covenant, how God made a covenant with his people. And uh, this covenant would define who the Israelites were. God, their creator, Yahweh says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it is here, Mount Sinai, that the story continues. And today we'll start our jumping off point. We'll start in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And then he will go on to list some of the offerings that were given. Gold, silver, bronze, yarn and fine linen, leather, wood, spices, oils, and gems. And these are the things that they brought out of Egypt through what God enabled them to plunder the, the Egyptians who were holding them captive. And these are some of the things that they brought out. And then God gives them further instructions in verse 8. It says, then have them, the Israelites, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. God says, have them make me a sanctuary, a holy place, and I will dwell among them. See, this is God's part of the covenant that God is making with the Israelites. God says, I will be your God and I will dwell among you. I will be with you. See, God is not a God who is distant, but rather a God who is present and near. So he says, build me this tabernacle. Build me this sanctuary. What is a tabernacle? A tabernacle is simply a portable sanctuary, a portable holy place, a portable place of worship. It is also called the tent of meeting because at this point in history, the tabernacle was a tent. And it was to be a holy place, a place where the Israelites were to meet with God. And so God gives very specific instructions we, over the next five chapters of Exodus. And we won't go into, we won't read all of them. We'll talk a little bit about them. But you're welcome to go back and read the very specific instructions that God gives on how to build this tabernacle, what's to be in it, how to create these, these pieces of furniture and tools that are going to be in it, and how the priests, the Levites, are to take care of the tabernacle. 
And so I have a couple diagrams here. The first one will kind of show you what the tabernacle, what the layout was. It had, um, it had a fence around it, and then it had a courtyard. By the way, this whole, um, the whole tabernacle with the, the fencing and the courtyard, think it's about a quarter of a football field. Okay, so that's kind of the size that we're talking about here. And so you have the outer, we have the outer courtyard. And uh, you see the altar to make sacrifices, complete with uh, a table uh, for, for the sacrifices and also a hand-washing station. As you can imagine, that was pretty important, <laughs> important back there. And then you have the tent itself where the, the sanctuary was. And you can look at the next diagram, you can kind of see a little bit more of what the inside of the tent looked like. So it was divided up into two rooms. And it's interesting, as you go further in, the, 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 the place becomes more and more holy. So you have the, the, the outer courtyard, then you have the first room, which is called the holy place. And in this room, you have the lampstand that's always lit, and you have the altar of incense where they would burn incense when they met with God. And uh, one of my favorite pieces of furniture <laughs> in, in the tabernacle, you have the t- uh, table for the bread of presence. And that's what it was called, the bread of presence, just a little tangent here because I think this is so fascinating. The bread of presence was twelve loaves of bread that the Israelites would would bake and then bring before God. And God said, every every, every uh, Sabbath is when they would come and they would swap out the bread. But the, the every Sabbath come and present these 12 loaves of bread. This bread is to always be in my presence. And the bread represented, the 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and you remember back as if we talked the last few days about this covenant that the Israelites were to give themselves wholly to God, completely to God. And so God says, these 12 loaves of bread that represent the 12 tribes always keep them in my presence. In fact, there's a tradition. It's, it's not in, in scripture, but if you look at, at some of the, the, the traditions of the Jewish people, the, the, the priests would take, when they were replacing, would take one loaf off and put a new loaf in. Take one loaf off and put a new loaf in. So there is always... 12. Whenever they would travel, the bread would travel with the table. And I love this so much because it's foreshadowing Jesus and how Jesus fulfills both sides of covenant. And we talked about this last week in John 6, chapter 35. Jesus says this, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. So in this tent you have, in this diagram, um, you have the first room. And uh, in the first room, you have the lampstand and the, the incense and the table of presence. And then you have the second room. In the second room, there was this heavy veil that divided the two. The most holy place is what that was called, or the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the priests could enter into this 
part of the tabernacle, and that only after having given certain sacrifices and once a year, and like there was this whole thing about the holy of holies, because that is where the presence of God was. And the ark had had this lid, and there were two angels with their wings spread out over this lid, protecting, almost hovering over the place where the presence of God would dwell. I love this conversation about tabernacle because of the symbolism that we see in all of this. The tabernacle was to be placed in the very center of the camp. So whenever they moved, the tabernacle was in the center, and then all the peoples would pitch their tents around the tabernacle. And it was designed to reflect the holiness of God. It was designed to to help Israel know how to approach a God who is holy. And the tabernacle was a sight to behold. It was made with the finest of materials that they had then. And also, the tabernacle was clearly home to the divine presence of God. I want to read from Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15. Listen to what the description and try to picture in your mind what it could have looked like, what it would have been felt like to, to see this on a daily basis. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant of the law was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That was how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out, and whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. Do you remember, as we've looked at this story, as the Israelites marched out of Egypt, God um, represented in this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night led the people. And whenever the cloud moved, the people moved. And then when the Egyptian army came and, and wanted to take them back and, and was upon them and there was nowhere for the Israelites to go because they were backed up against the Red Sea, it was the cloud and the pillar of fire that stood in between the Israelites and the Egyptian, protecting them while they went across, miraculously across the Red Sea. And so God, who in this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire um, that has been with the Israelites, once they built the tabernacle, then God settles over the tabernacle in this cloud by day and this I don't know how big it was or if it was a pillar or a cloud or, you know, the fire at night. Imagine the light coming off of that. Clearly, the divine presence of God in that place. And so that's where we're at in the Exodus story, that, that God gives very specific uh, instructions for this tabernacle. What I'd like to do with, with our, the rest of our time is kind of zoom out. And talk about this theme of God's presence 
with his people. God dwelling with his people. Because this is a theme that is carried out through the narrative of scripture. So first you have here in Exodus 25, you have, well, if we're going to say first, in the, in the Garden of Eden, right? God is walking with humanity. Um, here in Exodus 20, 25, we have the tabernacle and the presence of God is dwelling in the tabernacle and people are going to this holy place in order to meet with God. Eventually, the Israelites settle down, um, and so King Solomon builds the first temple, and it's, it's similar to the tabernacle, except it's a permanent structure. The layout is similar with the, the holy place and the holy of holies and a, and a place for sacrifices. And, uh, and that becomes the hub of meeting with God. And then fast forward more years, and the, the Babylonians come in and destroy that temple, Israelites go into exile. Fast forward, a new temple is is built, the second temple, and that's the temple that is still standing in the New Testament when we read the story uh, in the Gospels. But the tabernacle and the temple, you know, the, the portable structures and then the permanent structures were always the center of worship for the Israelites because that's where the presence of God was if you wanted to go meet with God, you would take a pilgrimage to those holy places. And then comes Jesus. And then comes Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen, listen to the description here. The Word, which is Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God incarnated, God in a human body, made his dwelling among us. Another way to translate that phrase, made his dwelling among us, is tabernacled among us. That God pitched his tent among us. In Jesus, God dwelt, God dwells with humanity. And in, further on in John chapter 1, John tells us that Jesus came to make God known. God drawing near to make God known. So there's a huge shift here in scripture from God's presence being tied to a specific location, a specific place like the, the temple, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, to God's presence is in a specific person, the person of Jesus, fully human and fully God. In fact, later on in John, in the next chapter, John 2, Jesus would refer to his body as the temple says, I could, you can tear down this temple and I'll raise again in three days. So there's this huge shift from, from place, specific place to Jesus. And then this progression continues. In John chapter 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit 
to his followers. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I, and this is Jesus speaking, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus will continue and say, in fact, it's good for me to leave because when I leave, then the Holy Spirit will come. I will send the Holy Spirit and this Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, will lead you, will be with you. So here's the progression in the story of scripture that the presence of God will dwell in the holy sanctuary, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple. And then the presence of God is in Jesus, who is God, dwelling among humanity. And then the Holy Spirit will dwell in the followers of Jesus. There's this moment um, at Jesus' death, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's crazy. In fact, there's, people, there's the ground shakes and um, people coming out of tombs, coming back to life. But another significant thing that happens in that moment when Jesus takes his last breath is that the curtain in the temple that divides the most holy place and the holy of holies is torn from top to bottom. It's like, it's like Jesus takes the top of the curtain and just rips it. This was the curtain that prevented the access into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And it was very specific who and how and when someone could enter into that place. And Jesus is taking care of all the requirements to access God, to access the presence of God. And, and in his death, that curtain is torn in half. Hebrews 10 refers back to this moment. In verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the holy of holies, we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water since this has happened since we now have access 
to the most holy place through Jesus. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance. Because Jesus' life and death and resurrection opens the way for us to access the holy of holies, to access the presence of God, to be very near to God. Let us draw near to God. And I love, and I think about that, I think, because God has drawn near to us, right? Because God has drawn us near. Let us draw near to God. So now we see in the progression, the Holy Spirit dwells within the followers of Jesus. This is the indwelling presence of God in us. We no longer need a specific place to meet with God. We have access to and can live in the presence of God every day, everywhere we go. And this indwelling of the Spirit is both individual and also communal. It also happens in community. In Ephesians 2, um, it speaks of the church community being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. And that dwelling isn't the building. That dwelling is the people, the community of God. And so the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us today. And friends, God is alive and God is moving and God is working. God is active. Scripture says a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Some of the things that Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit is that it, the Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us, intercedes for us, convicts us, heals us, searches us, knows us, gives wisdom, knowledge, and power, produces fruits in us such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the list goes on. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God is still inviting people to live in profoundly close relationship with God. And the implications of this are life-changing. And that's what, that's what really gets me excited to talk about this. Our bodies, in essence, have become the tabernacle, have become the temple of God. And so we can meet with God in our bodies. You know, I leave the house frequently and I have to go back because I've forgotten my keys and I've forgotten my purse, I've forgotten my phone, but I've never once left my house and forgotten my body. <laughs> like my body is with me. And the spirit of God is with me wherever I go. The spirit of God is with us, with you, wherever you go. And so, friends, we are invited to live in and with the very presence of God. And I want to remind us as we think about this and as we hopefully open our hearts to this, I want to remind us who God is. God is divine love. God is love. And so the Holy Spirit is the presence of divine love inside of us. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13, listen to the description. 
This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone, anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That God is love and God lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. There's another verse I want us to read together. It's Romans 5, verse 5. It says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. I love the imagery of that through the Spirit. Um, This is the NIV. I want to also read that same verse in the New Living Translation because it's worded a little bit differently and I love it. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Friends, we are invited to live in close relationship with God. And this is a God who is drawn very near. This is a God who opened the the way for, for us to access God's love whenever and wherever we're at. If you haven't said yes to God, if you haven't said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are invited to do so. It is a beautiful thing because scripture tells us that anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of divine love will come and dwell in that person. So you're invited to give your life to Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to live into the presence of God, this life-giving love. For many of us here, we, we have said yes to Jesus, and we have committed our lives to following Jesus. And so I want to invite us today to recognize and interact with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Recognize and interact with the presence of God inside of us. You know, I think back on sometimes how I'm really present with my kids and sometimes I'm not really present with my kids, but we we live in the same space. (laughs) We share much of the same life, but sometimes I'm, I'm present and sometimes I'm not. I want to invite us, friends, to be present to the presence of God inside of us. And there's so many ways to do that. 
There's so many ways to do that. <laughs> but it's all of them start with saying yes to God and intentionally turning towards God. I think I'd like to end today with one challenge. Because there are so many different ways to open ourselves up to God, I, I want to ask you to reflect on that and consider how might you be more intentional about turning to God, turning to the Holy Spirit, and listening and recognizing the Spirit. And I want to give us one concrete way that we might try this week um, to do that. Micah, for Christmas, I think it was, gave me this picture, and I, I requested it because this is by um, an, uh, an artist named Scott Erickson, and I love his art. There's another one in my office, and I'd requested this one because it just spoke to me when I saw it. I want to make sure everyone can see it. It's a picture of, of uh, lungs, and then inside the lungs are the letters um, Yahweh. Say the name of God. And what I love about this is that the word for spirit in Hebrew and also in Greek can also be translated as breath. The spirit of someone is their breath, their, their essence, the, what gives them life. And I love this imagery here that the presence of God is what gives us life and what lives inside of us. And so I want to invite us every time this week that you notice your breath. Maybe you're taking a deep breath. Maybe you're, you're exercising. You've got some shallow breath, shallow breathing going on. Maybe you sneeze. Maybe you cough. Whatever it is. Anytime this week that you notice your breath, I invite you to remember that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And I invite you to take a moment to recognize and connect with God. Maybe you just say hi. <laughs> hi. And it's just a moment. Maybe you just take a moment to be still, intentionally softening your heart or opening your heart to the presence of God. Or maybe it's a moment in which you really need to listen. Life's a little crazy and you're not sure what to do. And, and you're just like, Spirit, I'm listening. And take a moment to listen. Maybe it's a moment to make a request or an expression of gratitude or praise. But to just connect and engage with the Spirit. I want to invite us right now just to do that together. It's pretty simple. Just take a deep breath. And recognize and acknowledge the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Friends, my prayer for, for this week and, and for the weeks to come is that we may be present to the presence of God within us. Let's pray. Dear God, you are holy, you are mighty, you are creator God, and you are also very, very close, and you are also very, very present. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in us and around us. We thank you for this invitation to dwell with you,
We acknowledge that you see us. And Lord, in my life, and, and, I, and I ask everyone to pray, those who want, wish to pray this with me, but in my life, in our lives, Lord, we consent to your work. We say yes to what you want to do in us, to what you want to do through us. Thank you for not leaving us as orphans, but being right here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I pray that we all have just a very blessed week and that we take time to recognize who it is that lives inside of us. Have a great week.